servant, do what you must do to make me a servant, make me like you. Hello and welcome to Counsel from Above, your place to ask a therapist a question that you wish he would answer from God's Word. I am your host, Nathan Honeycutt, licensed professional counselor, minister of the Churches of Christ, getting an opportunity to come together to have some conversations to help us better connect with those that are around us, uh, better connect in our families, better connect with our children, uh, better be able to work together. And I have my great friend, Kip Green, with me today. Kip and I have known each other for 25 years. It is amazing. We met during our undergrad program. And he and I have been great friends ever since. So, Kip, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure. Man, it is good to uh, get to talk to you again and have you uh, on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about you and what do you want us to know, brother? Let's see. I have been a preacher in the church for uh, over 30 years. I am a uh, licensed professional counselor and supervisor here in the state of Alabama and uh, have been working with couples and families during all of that time and tend to uh, uh, gravitate toward families and, and uh, children and teenagers uh, is, is what I tend to do. And then uh, uh, in my spare time, I work with uh, the Child Haven Children's Home as the uh, house parent uh, full-time counselor uh, for them. And so uh, I work with families all the way around. Well, Kip, it is good to have you. Uh, as you all can tell, he... Uh... He sounds like he's from Alabama. Actually, he's from Tennessee, and that's where he started. But since he's living in Alabama, he sounds like people from Alabama. So uh, please don't hold that against him. For all of those who are listening from Alabama, I brought you someone that sounds just like you. So here we go to this, uh, today. We've got three questions, uh, a lot of different things. just kind of all over the place. All of three of these are anonymous, came through our email uh, and so I really appreciate those questions. If you have questions, please send it to our email. It's counselfromabove at gmail.com. Uh, got some new questions this week, and so please continue to send them to me. I'd love to have more added to our list. So here's the first one. Anonymous, Kip, here's your question. So how important is having dinner together as a family daily? What if a parent is working during dinner time? How do you compensate for missing that important family time together? Well, Kip, what do you think about family dinners? I don't think they can be overemphasized in importance. To have that time together, to have that close, intimate discussion uh, with with parent to child, sibling to sibling, uh, even even with the siblings being able to witness and observe parent-to-parent interaction concerning any event that has occurred. I don't think that importance can be overemphasized. I find it always interesting that uh, some of my fondest conversations was at the dinner table. My uh, parents or my my sister or my brother, you know, the family, we always had these interesting conversations. Uh, And there's some families that have like these uh, limited topics at the dinner table. And then there's some, it's like anything, you know, whatever you want to talk about, it's like, hey, let's bring it on out. You know, Uh, you want to talk about sexuality. You want to talk about killing a deer. You want to talk about, you know, dating or not dating, whatever you want to talk about, just talk. And then other families, it's like, okay, so only these topics are acceptable. 
exactly. just kind of all depends on the family and their dynamics. I always remember the difference in being at home with mom and dad. And then also then when someone else is interjected into that dynamic, like Popeye and Granny, when they came, it was such a different dynamic because there were subjects when Popeye and Granny were there that were off limits, but not when mom and dad were there. You know, and having that uh, open opportunity to say, you know, here's a safe place to have this conversation. Here's the safe place to be able to, uh, to discuss those things. I know that, you know, kind of raising my boys, we had dinner almost every night as a family up until a point. Now that Wyatt's a, a, a freshman in college um, and he's working, you know, we may get one family dinner a week together, right. whereas we were getting seven, you know, six and seven. Uh, do you find a difference? I think, you know, your kids now grown, uh, one of them's gone. One of them is in college. Uh, so she's kind of in and out. So how, how did you guys make up for those times in which not everyone was there? With, uh, with Garrett, my, our oldest, he's 22, uh, and, and married and he and Jessica come over to the house, uh, once a week for, for supper now. And it is such a, a priority in our lives. Uh, we make that night a, a big meal, a big production, and, and it ends up being the conversation that we, we stay too long, and we always joke that we stay too long in the hard chairs at the dinner table, and then we want to move to the soft chairs in the living room and continue our conversation. And, and then, of course, when Addison does come back uh, from Freed, um, it, it's, it's just so special. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's very, very, uh, important to us, uh, those times. And, and, you know, I, I don't schedule any appointments. I don't have any couples come, come around, you know, that day, that night is specifically focused on them. So dude, it, when I call you even hang up on me on that night, I mean, good grief. I, <laughs> I call do. you and you're like, Hey, I'm in dinner, bud. Leave me alone. Yeah. 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 Gotta go. So it's Gotta like, go. is this important? No, not really. Then leave me alone. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> So, exactly. you know, those are, you know, I think becomes a, a part of us that make it sacred. And the more sacred we make it, the more important we make it, the more we use it uh, in a positive manner. And so one of the difficulties, I think that if we are working with, uh, you know, families and other things that are going on work and stuff like that, I don't, I don't know that we should ever get to a point to where we don't appreciate that time together. Uh, I don't know that, uh, you know, some families, their kind of uh, family dinner is in the living room uh, in front of the television. Right. Well, I'm not going to say that's right, wrong or indifferent. I mean, you have to make that call for your own family. Uh, but I can say having done that at times, uh, conversation is is just not there uh, right. as around a dinner table. Yeah, interaction slips. That's That's all there is to it. Yeah. And having that opportunity uh, that you will miss, I mean, because we don't always have those chances and opportunities with our kids. And when yeah. we have one, uh, always take advantage of them. I also find times when the boys are gone, my wife and I will be sitting at the table. We'll have our own family dinner, you know, without them. And that, again, that opens up conversations that otherwise would not have happened. Right. That's a, that you're practicing for empty nest syndrome. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, those yeah we're, we're there. We're there. You, you found it. Absolutely. And so, you know, don't underestimate those conversations to where your attention is completely and utterly focused on the other person or people in the room. Uh, use that as a way uh, to converse. You know, I think about the 
to me, my mind continues to go back to the Lord's Supper and the great supper that which Jesus and his disciples had uh, before the Garden of Gethsemane. And that was a time where, you know, Jesus, for many reasons, really emphasized that. He emphasized it because he was the great sacrifice and, and because he knew this was their last time together. But I think it was also a whole lot more about his ability to converse with them. If you look at John 13 through 17, that's, you know, chapters of a, you know, hour, two hours, maybe mm -hmm. three hours of time. Exactly. And which John says, you know what, I'm going to give you five chapters right here of just that information. And that's the kind of meat I think you find at the dinner table. Absolutely. Uh, I, I like this. The, the third part of this question uh, of how do you compensate? Uh, I think to compensate, you have to know one specific thing. There has to be a level of interest, a level of investment into that family unit and then each child and even your spouse, there has to be that, that investment. If you want to compensate, then you have to re recognize that. And, and it, it doesn't have to be over a meal, but there has to be that level of interest that's, that's given. Yeah, that undivided attention uh, is so important. All right, great, great answer. All right, so second question. Uh, this one's introducing a, a, a new world. We're, we're in a new place here, Kip. So yeah, here we here's, go. Here's the new one. Okay. So next one, Anonymous. Uh, I recently heard that furries, children identifying as animals, is becoming an issue in schools across the nation. Is the scientific and medical community recognizing this as a legitimate diagnosis? How do I have a conversation with my mainstream child about this topic? So, Kip... What's a furry? <laughs> a furry is someone that will identify uh, in an anthropomorphic way to as an animal. Uh, the biggest biggest example that, that people seem to understand uh, is these children have grown up with Sonic the Hedgehog, and they will identify as a hedgehog. Uh, and so that they try to build a relationship with Sonic. And uh, uh, that's kind of kind of a way that we use to, to uh, uh, identify that and talk about that. You know, a lot of times uh, we're trying to identify with people in the world. How do we have communication? How do we have connections? And so for a number of people uh, having these uh, this this character, this costume, having this uh, cover allows them to be protected uh, among the world or among the society um, as far as uh, so. You and I both have the same view as far as diagnosis is concerned. Uh, the <laughs> yeah. only reason diagnosis exists is to get paid. Um, that's that's just a fact. Um, if it wasn't for the fact that um, companies that are paying for uh, services, so your insurance company, Medicaid, Medicare, on and on the list goes, they have to have a diagnosis or they won't pay. Uh, they won't cover the bill. Have to have and a code. You have to have a code. And so uh, because of that, Everyone that we see and we then charge to an insurance company, we have to put a code on it. So therefore, I mean, I don't I have major issues and feelings about diagnosis. And I know you and sure. I have talked about that a degree completely. But as far as this is concerned, if you were working with someone who is uh, talking or identifying as a furry, uh, what diagnosis do you are is kind of the mainstream using at this time? The scientific, the scientific community, as the question is referring to, always comes from the DSM-5. Uh, and so there are two main two main diagnosis codes that I have to use uh, in this case. And, and we, we all know that we use the adjustment disorder 
uh, as a general code, and that, that seems to be accepted, and and that's kind of what's what's going on. Uh, the other one is the is the uh, uh, dysphoria uh, 302.4, uh, one through seven, based on the comorbidity. Uh, and so, as you think about the way that that, that is uh, defined, many in that community really really object to you using anything like gender dysphoria or sexual dysphoria. That uh, they really object to that because they say that's not what is going on here, and so uh, many insurance companies are wanting now that to go back to that adjustment disorder, which is just so general it doesn't uh, doesn't do any good. Which that's nothing to do with the therapy room, as you well know. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, that, that's kind of where where we are and what we have to do for insurance. You know, I think about the the fact that when when someone is is identifying this, there's usually other things that are going on. Um, if, you know, the reality is, is I think we all wear masks at times. We all have uh, a part of our world that we want no one else to see. And our intimate relationships, the the relationships that are very close, we allow people to see our truth. We allow people to see who we truly are uh, in our true existence. And in relationships, you know, you accept that and you understand that and you begin to accept the fact that not every's perfect. And your friendships, your romantic relationships that last a long time are ones that say, you know what? I know your faults and I'm okay with it. Uh, my old boss used to say, I know your warts and I know where they are and I'm okay with it. Exactly. You know, and that's, you know, it, but for many of us, uh, we are wearing masks. We are wearing a way to cover our truth. We are wearing a, something that doesn't uh, accept where we are. And one of the things that I think this sometimes happens or is used is to be able to literally hide uh, behind a way so that I can be acceptable. I agree. And, you know, you and I were talking about this, and one of the things that you have noticed, one thing I've noticed, is rarely is this really about sexuality. Correct. Uh, This is most of the time about acceptance among people and acceptance among someone else uh, to find a way to where I'm okay and you're okay. The research backs that up. It's, it's not about the sexuality. I mean, yes, the research shows that you know, a good third, uh, maybe just a, under a half of those that are, are uh, surveyed will say that it is somewhat dealing with some sexuality. But when it when you get right down to it with those surveys and those questionnaires, it's only about a third. So it's, it's, it's not the main thing that's going on here. You know, and, you know, it's, the other thing that we keep seeing is, is, so kind of taking it to a different perspective and then bringing it back. The other side that I see is, you know, people that have lots of tattoos or ear piercings or facial piercings and, you know, things like that. I saw a girl the other day that had uh, this thing in her cheekbone that stuck out uh, from her, from her cheekbone. And I hadn't seen that before. That was kind of odd to me. And I was like, wow, okay, that's, that's different, you know? And, and so anytime we see something that's different or we see something that's new to us, how do we react to that person? How do we respond? You know, as a child, you know, when someone looked kind of strange or different or weird in my world uh, and I stared at him, my mom would get on to me. You know, she'd holler Absolutely. at me and say, don't don't it- look at people like that, you know. And so the, the latter part of the question is, is how do I have a conversation with my mainstream child about this topic? And I think the answer becomes we've got to learn how to treat all people with respect, no matter what they look like. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Teaching children to to be respectful and kind, uh, and, and with 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 furries and, and with with this problem, 
we know that the, it, it is based and rooted in anxiety. Uh, we find that there is a high degree of social interaction and social fear um, within this. How do they do that? And they're they're never, you know, many times in, in the uh, German Shepherd community, to use this as an analogy, they talk about how you're going to socialize to get this animal not to be too aggressive. Well, if you take that from a psychological perspective, they're getting used to being around different people in different settings, settings and different situations. This is much to that that idea. Uh, not ta- not calling people animals any, by any means, but I am I am saying that they have not been socialized. They've been so withdrawn, and and they've had their nose in uh, 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 some some tablet or some phone uh, or some video game away from any personal interaction. And so that's the root. Uh, that's the base of where some of this comes in at. Yeah. And I think the more that we become acceptable to ourselves and allow other people to accept us or, or reject us. Uh, there are some people that I don't want to hang out with sure. and that's okay. I mean, I, it's not that they're right or wrong or I'm right or wrong. It's that you know, there are certain people that I'm like, you know what, this isn't comfortable or I'm not okay with this. And that's okay. No issues. But, uh, but too often in our world, that's, that's something we don't want to deal with. We don't want to have that feeling. I don't want to feel rejected, even if right. it's an acceptable part. And so I think when we talk to our children, when we talk to people, when we're working with someone, a number one, see the person for who they are, uh, respect the person for who they are, be uh, respectable with them no matter what. Romans 12 is very clear on how we are to interact uh, with people that are around us. Uh, and when we are working with someone, no matter what they look like, no matter what they, uh, whether they you like what they wear, don't like what they wear, whatever, whatever it is, our world is about how do I treat all men with honor and respect? So the last question uh, is uh, from a, from a different kind of parenting side. And so here's the question. It says, we've learned so much related to social emotional learning, SEL, and how that affects growth and development. It seems that much of the research being released and viewed as best practice today contradicts how the Bible instructs to deal with children who rebel. Can you speak to this from both the mental health perspective and the biblical perspective? You know, when it comes to, you know, kind of our world trying to teach us how to live in our world, uh, we always have to remember that when our world is teaching us uh, to live in this world, they're not always taking God's direction when they do that. You know, God's perspective is outside of where the world. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that all things within SEL is absolutely and positively non-biblical. No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that any time the world is trying to present something to us, we have to filter it with God's word. What is it the Bible is teaching and has taught that is either showing this to be accurate or inaccurate? Kip, from your perspective from SEL, you know, what are some things that you've noticed that uh, may not fit very well within what God has provided us? Okay, there, there are th- three specific things that I'd like to, to bring up from a mental health standpoint, uh, based upon what you said there with the way God has directed us to behave. Uh, number one, SEL is based in uh, the, the, 
the philosophy, it's steeped in it, in fact, of the philosophy of connectivity. It, it bases everything upon being connected to one another. And at, at first blush, you think, well, that's that's great. We are all connected. We, that's how we can teach. That's how we can bring Jesus to a world dying uh, in sin. However, the way that this is brought out, the, the level of connectivity is almost one to melt uh, everyone together and, and to not have a truth that is designed. Number two, it has an, an element within it that that talks about conscious discipline, meaning you only change when you want to. You, you, you have the, the ability within yourself, which we know that, uh, yeah. instead of Instead of being disciplined because it's the right thing, they talk about, well, if you don't see that you need to, to change, then there's nothing that would encourage you to do that because you're encouraged to have your own consciousness toward toward that. They believe cognitively that, that you will, but that, that remains to be seen. And then the, the last thing is probably the most important portion of SEL. They talk about self-awareness. And that, that is, is absolutely vital and to development yeah. and to growth, and we know that. However, the fault that many have found with this is when it comes to, to self-awareness is how are you going to define that self? And if it's not defined based upon who you are supposed to be as a child of God, if you are basing that self upon the way that a group externally is forcing you to be because you're in this connectivity, then your identity, yourself, will not be one that is attached to being a disciple, a child of God, rather a child of the society in which you are around. So you're being molded to a group, a philosophy, a mindset. And the reality is, is that that's exactly what God wants. God wants you to be molded. The only thing is, is he doesn't want you to be molded by things of the world. He wants you to be molded by his direction. Yeah, transformed. And, yeah, and going back to Romans chapter 12 and verse number two, be ye transformed exactly. by the renewing of your mind. It is about us fitting where he wants us to be and living the way he would want us uh, to act and to live. You know, when when we think about, you know, our awareness and our understanding, you know, we really do have people in our world that we want to please. And sometimes that changes what we do because it's values to us. It's important to us. And that's really what ultimately I think God leads to us as he says, look, here's how to please me. And here's the benefit to that. And, and when, you know, I don't know about you, Kip, but I, I know that when I became a Christian, I became a Christian. So I wouldn't go to hell. That's right. I, I don't know if that was the way it was in your world, but I, I became a Christian because I didn't want to go to hell. That was, that Simple. was, that, that was it. <laughs> As my life has continued, uh, I still don't want to go to hell, so don't let me put that in there anyway. But the reality is, is that my Christianity is more about I love God versus I don't want to go to hell. Yeah. And and as that morphs, as that changes, as that alters, so does the the mindset. And I think that when we are talking about our children, when we're talking about our families, one of the first things we want to be able to do is help each person think through their world so that they know why they believe what they believe. Yes, yes. You know, and I think that, you know, as much as Philippians chapter two, I think is pulled out of context, uh, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As much as that one, I think is 
tortured and destroyed at times. I, I think it still has a point. And the point is, is if you don't know why you do it, then it's going to be hard to answer to God what you've done. Right. We have to be able to stand on the judgment day and to be able to say, God, this is why I did this. This is what I was thinking. This is the thinking that I've found from your word and from my study of your word that led me to have this particular belief or thinking. Absolutely. To be able to, be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Yep. And That's the only we, way you can defend yourself and, and, and endure through life. And as I'm trying to teach my kids, as my as, as my parents taught me, I, I think it's all becomes about, you know, our ability to uh, understand God's direction in our world and to follow that to the best of our abilities and to do that because I want to, because I care about that, because it's something important to me. And the more that we do that, the more it becomes who we are and a direction for what we want to become. Yes. So Kip, I appreciate you uh, being a part of the uh, podcast, and uh, I am so thankful that you agreed to do this. You may not ever do it again, but uh, my pleasure. I did look forward it once. To next time. I, I got you once anyway, but I sure appreciate you. It's been a great honor uh, to have you with me, and uh, I appreciate you very, very much. To the audience, I appreciate you for uh, sticking with us and continuing to be a part of our uh, program. This is. Uh, Continuing on, uh, this is now uh, 2023. Woo woo! And so here we go. We are continuing to uh, present podcasts uh, twice a month. Uh, we offer them uh, on the second and fourth Saturday of the month. So this one uh, is uh, being presented, and we hope that it is helpful to you and that it creates a blessing for you. Continue to send us questions. You can do it through our Facebook page, uh, which is uh, Council from Above Podcast. You can send it to me, as I mentioned earlier in the cast, you can send it to me through Gmail. Uh, that is counselfromabove at gmail.com. Uh, you can also DM me or those uh, fancy ways. You can get a hold of me, send it to me. Uh, we are going to be looking at uh, marriage and relationships in our podcast, the next one. Uh, so be looking forward to that as we uh, continue to consider God's word and we think about how we ought to be serving him. And as always, let us always remember and continue to keep our ears and our hearts open as we continue to listen to his counsel from above.